Hi everyone, and uh, I, do you know what, I've not even planned an intro for this and I've messed it up already, but there's no messing it up because it's a, a Patreon exclusive, this is the first recorded exclusively for Patreon only show that we've done, and I say that, there may be a point way down the line that this comes out on audio uh, for the for the free feeds as well. But right now, this is for you, the Patreons, as of March 2021, who have signed up and are managing to pledge to the show. Um, and listen, I just want to say again, I never expect anyone to do this, okay? I would still be doing the show in some format, but it really does make a huge difference. Uh, all of you, no matter how much you're pledging or when you started pledging, um, that you're giving a little something back to the show and it helps me with all kinds of costs and subscriptions and servers that I pay for. And even this show is the first time I'm recording on Zencaster. Um, I'm thinking it might give me a little bit of a better audio quality. And it looks like it's got some cool features that will make the podcast a little bit better, which I'm always looking to do as well. So it's getting the show out, like I've always said, in the best possible quality. This is going to be pretty, pretty, I should have just left pretty there. This is going to be pretty laid back, relaxed. And uh, yeah, I've invited Dan along with me to Dan say hi this is this is great I'm actually enjoying the much more laid back I don't have to worry about a format I've got literally no notes for this whatsoever which is which is refreshing yeah it must be must be much more relaxing for you thanks for inviting me on it's it's nice to be here on your premiere episode of your patreon uh yes and this is definitely not padding for time because the beauty with the patreon exclusives is this could have lasted a couple of minutes if i only got one question i would have done the question and then said goodbye um but very kindly you've all chipped in with with some some really good questions as well so i really appreciate it and i do appreciate more and more a lot of you are are getting in touch quite regular as well so it's nice to see the same names sending in questions constantly and they're always of a really high quality i think i'm not just saying that because of the patreons but the the general listenership to the show i get a lot of really good questions sent over and if you are a patreon or if you are listening to this in the future uh, after the task force reports came out and we've got full disclosure the disclosure even and our um, alien overlords have landed on the white house lawn still send in a question um, if you've never done it before and you think I just don't want to or you know I don't know if they'll read it out or people might not like it just send it over please get in touch it'd be really good but listen we're doing a bit of an AMA so an AMA is an ask me anything it's more of an AUA this is ask us anything so myself and Dan have got your questions in front of us and we're going to take turns having a little read through them and answering I've skimmed over them I've not left any out that were posted on the Patreon thread as well. So everything should get answered. Dan, you good to start digging in, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, So I'll start off first, if you're happy with that. Yeah. So something we've discussed um, a few times off air as well. This one's from Barry. Um, Barry Roscoe, you've asked, should we now bring the Agadia video to the foray more. Oh, you've used some words there that are hard to say with Scottish accent. Um, it's better and longer than any of the three F-18 videos. So, of course, he means the gimbal, flare, tic-tac stuff. So, the Agadir video, we, we've talked about this before, Dan, haven't we? We have, yeah. It's a, it's a really impactful video. Uh, did you did you see... I can't remember which Joe Rogan it was now. They they pulled it up. I think it might be James, the James Fox one. Um, and they cut it. I think it was, yeah. Before the end, when the water and the, you know, the split or the mirror happens. Right, wait, this isn't the same. 
So this is bad. I've got a terrible memory, folks. You should see this by now with the podcast, right? I write a lot of stuff down and I'm not great at instantly recalling stuff. I never hide that. That is Dan and Dave and those guys. That's their expertise. Is this not the same video that um, Flarky on Twitter has been uh, discussing and talks about it potentially being a balloon? Um, Where the object splits towards the end? Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think his his analysis, he's kind of taken a bunch of different data points to figure out where it was and figure out the flight path. Um, this is the one I also sent to you, Dan, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, privately, because I'll just say, Flarky, um, at Flarky on, on Twitter, done a lot of very good research on this, right or wrong, whether you agree with him or disagree. It's really important that we do have people, for me, looking at these things very objectively. And if people want to try and debunk, uh, I'm going to use the word debunk, then that's good because we shouldn't just look at these things with a bit of, you know, one-sidedness in my point of view. So I'm happy with that kind of stuff. When it gets stubborn, a little bit like some of Mick West stuff, it gets a bit ridiculous. But I won't pretend to know everything that was sent over in, in the material that I got on this video um, that was trying to make the point of why it was a balloon. I'm not a numbers guy like that. I just tend to ask people for the high-level bullet points, as Dan will know. Um, but Dan, what, what were your thoughts then on what was sent over and what do you think of the video itself? I mean, I, I agree with you that even if you don't agree with the analysis, it's important to to have people that do it because, you know, you it, it's like um, anything in science where you have a hypothesis, you test, you write the paper, other people get to look at it, they come back to you with notes, you adjust your experiment, you do it again. That's the peer review process, and there's, there's no reason for anyone to be, you know, annoyed or angry or take it personally. Um, that's how we get to the bottom of this stuff, you know? It, it's when you get the the professional debunking that the issue comes. Um, so, yeah, I, I found it really intriguing. Um, the the SEU has a report on the, the Aguadilla video as well, um, and they have a different flight path kind of marked out to what Flarky had. Um, but it's interesting to look because we we don't have that data and we know that a lot of it does exist. So this this conversation we're having could just be, you know, you could have a full stop per after it and a definitive answer if the people that have this data would just share it. So, Dan, yes or no, because I know there's people that like the answer you've just given, but when I'm a <laughs> listener, I listen to answers like that and go, yeah, but is it aliens or not? So, yes or no, is it a balloon? No. Yes or no, is it some sort of craft? Yes. And yes or no, is it aliens? That's harder. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let you away with that one, but that, I think that's that's fair. That's what people well, want two, to know. Two out of three in bed, that's what Meatloaf said, right? So we're, As we're the fine. song goes, yeah. Listen, I can't do that with Lou Elizondo because that just doesn't come across well, but <laughs> me and Dan can sit and do that, especially for, for the Patreons as well. So the Agadir, and, and Barry's shout of it's better and longer than the three F-18 videos, I think you've got to take into account who released those, why they were released, you know, the potential of what else might be there. And again, it's not doing the whole I know things you don't know because I don't really. But, you know, I've spoken with guests off air that are adamant that they have seen longer versions of those videos. Um, so, yeah, for me, those those three videos that go down in history one way or another, 
and hopefully this is the year we do get some more videos. I think the next thing we're potentially going to get before that is this picture of the triangle that I can't even, I don't even know if that comes up in one of the questions. These rumours came from, you know, these new ones. Um, I've I've seen it, kind of the chatter get more and more over the past few days. Um, But the triangle. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I haven't heard anything. Not to say that I hear everything, you know, I could just be out of the loop. Um, and I hope it gets released, but you, that, listen, you say that and the last time that it was spoken about, I don't think. The debrief and the guys there, including Ryan, Ryan Sprague, who, you know, we are friends with, um, they have been quite vocal on it as well. They have not exactly just let this drop. Now, whether that's because it was brought up on Rogan, um, but they've more than hinted, which has annoyed a few people, um, and I can see why, but I, not that I agree with it, but they have annoyed a few people that they're hinting that this is going to come out soon again, and people think this is a little bit of the hyping that's going on that we know didn't go down too well last time after the you know, cube with a sphere inside and what came out was potentially a Batman balloon, and I've said potentially, I know I caused a little bit of a debate again amongst people putting it's that the on right Twitter term, the other day. Though, right? it's, it's the right phrase to use yeah because i I, I, came out everyone went it's the batman balloon and then just switched off and it's like well it was the same shape but there was nothing definitive to say that it was aside from you know that and you know what i i i totally get how people on both sides of the argument can be tearing their head out at us having this conversation because if i was on the side of it's clearly a batman balloon or kids birthday balloon or mylar balloon then I'm tearing my head out because, oh my God, look at the shape. It clearly is a balloon. It's not a spaceship. You can zoom in on it. But I, I don't think there's enough there to say it definitely is that. And when I say definitely, I mean definitively. It 100% is that Batman balloon because, again, there's the whole thing that it was quite high up and it was travelling and then there's rumours about the other data. But this is what we keep going back to. Our, our friend Sean Cahill says about this having one source. It was a photograph that the more you zoom in, the more pixelated it gets. As as clear as the shape sort of is, it's still just one source we've pretty much got for this without having all the data officially accompanying it. But on the other side of the argument is the people saying that this is clearly mo- it was clearly moving from what they've heard and it's not a balloon, it's too high up and you know there's no it's it's silver and then potentially it's changing shape and, and all that kind of stuff that comes with it. The debrief have added a bit of fuel to that fire because they have put on their own Twitter account um, that there was there was other data and potentially other photographs from the same event. For me, if there is even one other photo from that same pilot taking however long apart that shows this differently or gives a different perspective, then if that's there, get it out and that changes the argument. But it's there. It's like that. That's it's really frustrating and I get why. And this is where I see more and more. As much as I love to speculate and I love that sort of drop, I will take a photograph any day to discuss and debate. But it causes so much arguing and so much split opinion. I feel I've ranted, Dan. No, I mean you you're spot on. I, I completely agree. It 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 would change that event to have more than one data point. And I know we have the story, but you know we don't we don't have a, a voice testimony or you know a, a silhouette telling us the story 
of when they were there, when they were flying in circles around it, taking pictures or something like that. You know, we ju- we just have the yeah. reporting. So it would be amazing to get another, another, I've heard it's a, a frame from a video, but it would be, it would be great to get more. That's just so frustrating. I know we're not going to go on about this one, but that, that's so frustrating when you hear, if you hear that other photo as a frame from a video, and then it just makes you go, give us the video. Because yeah. people are just going to tear the photograph but, but I guess apart. The, the reason that it is that is because it was in a paper report, right? And yeah. as nice as it would be to have Hogwarts videos in newspapers, that's not where we're at yet. If only we had some sort of frame <laughs> tablet type device that played videos and, you know, you could put files on and, ah, oh, What's imagine in a video? Exactly, I, I yeah. trope was, you know, there's moving pictures in France, but that's it. That's all I know. I'm just glad this has gone more than five minutes for, for people <laughs> to get a bit of content, bang for their buck. One question. Would you like to ask the next question? Uh, yes, go for it. Next question, please, Dan. Uh, this question is from uh, Ryan, which is still crazy for me to say because I'm such a big fan of his work. So it's it's very cool that he's sending questions. Thanks, Ryan. Um, so this question is, Christopher Mellon has been much more quiet lately than Luis Elizondo. Do you guys think he's cooking something up? Oh, cooking up something pretty explosive? And if so, what could it entail? No, I don't think so. Next question. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, And that was, it's Ryan Sprague as well, sending that in. So yeah, damn the same as you, Dan. I know we consider Ryan a friend now as well. We talk quite a lot off air and stuff. So Ryan's a really good guy over at Somewhere in the Skies podcast. Um, yeah, so Chris Mellon has been quiet. Um, however, given it's Patreon and we're being a bit more relaxed for you here, I'm just going to quickly check the Twitter feed of Chris Mellon just to see, you know, how quiet has he been? Um, He still doesn't follow me, disappointingly. Chris uh, tweeted four days ago about new research to do with interstellar travel, uh, four days ago about the big phone home, something we're a part of and we'll discuss potentially later on. Uh, I'm going to be on... uh, Luis uh, Jimenez's uh, podcast next week, the Unidentified Celebrity Review. Um, by no means am I saying I'm a celebrity. That's just the name of the podcast, folks. The celebrity um, isn't identified. If you're named on there, you're not who uh, who they call it a celebrity. That's how it works. Ex- exactly. <laughs> so I- I'm on that with uh, Louise next week. So that'll be fun, talking about the big phone home and stuff. Um, but yeah, so Chris Mellon's still pretty active. He sent quite a few tweets in February. But I get what Ryan means, that he's certainly no spokesman or spokesperson like Lou comes across. Um, I think Chris has always been that way, though, hasn't he? Chris Chris Mellon. Um, I say Chris like I know him. Um, Chris Mellon's always been a bit more of the, the statesman of the group, um, as respected and as much as Lou was the spearhead of the movement and the group and you know, the face of so much of what TTSA done and now what he's doing on his own. And we know he's still working with with Chris, um, which is good to hear, and they're still in touch. You just feel Chris is one of those guys that has so much going on in the background that probably isn't all, I would say definitely isn't all UAP, UFO related and has his finger in so many projects and pies that this is just something else he does and has a passion for. Um, Again, when I spoke to David Marler, David Marler keeps in touch with Chris Mellon and David Marler regularly sends correspondence to Chris on Black Triangles. And that's great to hear that Chris still wants to hear that. Send him the stories, send him the research, send him the case files, because that's an ongoing passion of his. So that that puts a lot of you know credence in that for me. So um, 
I think Chris is one of those guys in the subject, just from my opinion, over this year, he will no doubt be involved in the task force in some way. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if his name was in there somewhere, uh, you know, in, in some way or form or fashion. But I don't see him coming out like a Lou and kind of spearheading, if you want to call what Lou does, spearheading, you know, this, this movement and disclosure process. Chris Mellon is just someone who is a fantastic ally to have in the background of all of this. What, what do you think, Dan? Would, do you think it would be fair to say he's he's closer to say Harry Reid than he is to? I, I'm trying to find someone that's likely to be Salazano, but I guess there, there's no one. Um, you know, he he's yeah, I, I know what you mean. He um, says says less, but it kind of has a weight to it because you know he's behind the curtain, kind of pulling all these invisible levers from within the system. You know, yeah. So for me, him and Lou were on a par with the way they came across. Lou has just made himself a little bit more accessible and almost more human with his recent interviews in February. Um, Before that, I think you could have pretty much compared Lou and Chris Mellon um, because other than unidentified and the odd Fox News appearance, they were a bit elusive. But Lou's kind of made the decision to step out and have more conversations, which is great, and that's amazing. I would love to speak to Chris Mellon, but I know I'm in a queue with every other podcaster on this topic out there, including podcasters who talk about, you know, military stuff, podcasters who have governmental stuff, you know, banking podcasters, as that came up recently. Chris Mellon is a very intelligent man with a rich family history uh, in many senses of the word. So... I just don't think Chris is going to get that involved in the topic, unfortunately. Um, He will be there. He will be helping out. He may appear as a talking head on the next phenomenon-type documentary that comes out, but I I can't see him doing a run of podcasts, for example, like like Lou Dunn. That's fair. Um, Next question. Uh, this one's from Ryan again. So do you want like I'm I'm asking you the Ryan questions. This feels like it's not a part B, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask it as Ryan's. Yeah, go for it. I like this <laughs> question though. I'd read it before. Uh, which single case in UFO history do each of you believe is the one case that we can all point to and say that is documented and truly represents something far superior to any nation's capabilities on the planet? Ugh. I'll keep this short as as possible as I can. Um, So there's two. I'm going to be Dan here and say, I just want to give two. The first one would be, I would love to go back and witness what happened at Roswell. Just be sitting up in those mountains, looking down and see either one crash happen, you know, rumours of multiple crashes over the course of a few weeks and a few days. Wait, I think think you're answering a separate question here. Oh, am I? Am I? Yeah, I know the question that you're thinking of, but that's later on. Oh, oh, right, okay, sorry. You're thinking of the historic case that you would like to have witnessed, right? Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah sorry, so that is documented and that, that yeah. is documented. so I guess, like, the best, on, the best case we have with evidence, well, what do you feel that is? Okay, so um, as much as we can call it evidence, the Phoenix Lights, so... So many people saw that 
if it just happened 15 years later, there would have been camera phones everywhere and more media and social media videos and everything else to go along with it. I would have loved to have been there for those couple of nights, just camping outside, looking up, waiting on these things flying over. It's amazing there's not been more come out about it that, than has. Um, I know I watched um, some good stuff with Dan Aykroyd on it, and obviously I've seen the Fife Symington interviews, and that's been well documented from the time. Fife Symington, of course, was the governor of, of the area, um, and he kind of made fun of it, but then came out later on and said, look, I was told to make fun of it. I saw them as well. Um, and then, yeah, so that that's a fascinating case for me. That is your mass sighting. It just maybe happened at the wrong time for it to really have that impact. I don't think it was far off having, to be honest. What about yourself? Or, or do you think maybe it was such a big sighting because it happened then? You know, there's this aspect with the phenomena that it reveals itself to people, right? So if we all had camera phones, maybe that's why we, we haven't had another one. Because it would be the definitive moment. Mm, nah, I, I think one of the things, you know, everyone talks about that we don't... Why do we not see as many sightings when everyone's got a phone on them because everyone's now looking down at their phones no one's looking up at the sky <laughs> i've i've talked about this before how i regularly walk into fences and trees and trip up when i'm walking the dog because where i stay the, the sky is really nice and i like looking around at the sky and i'm always looking for something moving you see loads of satellites all that kind of stuff now and again you see something that makes you go oh that looks like it's moving a little bit differently but i might be wrong i don't know um they, they yeah so statistic wasn't there i can't remember exactly what it was but the a lot of ufo sightings a high proportion of them were by people who were walking their dog or smoking a cigarette outside but yeah because they're not looking they're not looking down at a phone yeah they're not texting someone or sitting on facebook or sitting on twitter um hi to all the twitter followers and facebook followers <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah that, that's what people do now we're all guilty of it so you go and meet up with a friend and you sit with that friend, but on your phones talking to other people who aren't there with you. Everyone does it. So it's just, yeah, so I, I don't think the argument that everyone's got camera phones, we should have more evidence, uh, holds a lot of weight for various reasons, that being one of them. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. There's there's some weirdness going on there as well. You know, there's some slide nine stuff that suggests that if, if they didn't want you to take a photo, they could very easily make you not able to take a photo, whether it's messing with the technology or you. Um, tell, that, tell that to the Bledsoe's. <laughs> very true. Um, <clears throat> so my my choice for this, just because we've been talking about, I guess the Nimitz will probably be the number one for me for this, just because it's so compelling. But I'm going to pick something else, um, just because it's a weird one. The Colaris. Uh, incident i guess um that went on for a long while was... sorry have you looked at what the next question is um well this this is kind of <laughs> where i went there because i i thought i thought we could kind of link it in yeah and it's just it, just it on that folks compelling the next question is barry saying Colaris island end of chat so end yeah there you go <laughs> yeah i could have just said those two words and stop right um but yeah there, there was a lot of weirdness there and there was a lot of I, I, well, I'm just going to say it, violence towards people. Um, people were hurt, people were stalked. 
Um, these things were documented in various ways by a lot of different people. And there's just ma mass hysteria only goes so far. And then, and then it's just, you've got a, you're leaning on a comedy of errors so big that it couldn't possibly have happened unless everyone is just, you know, the stupidest version of a human we could possibly have, <laughs> which I think is, is a very silly assumption. Um, yeah. So I, I would say the Kalaris Island, uh, I I'd like to more, for more people to look into it. Um, and do you know what I'm, I'm thinking that, uh, Barry may have been even commenting on Ryan's question potentially so that's pretty interesting so cheers for that uh, Ryan and Barry. Next one Cameron Woolnaw. Uh he was wondering what do we think the implications of alien abductions would have on society if um, us uh, worldwide governments and authorities collectively come to an agreement that the phenomenon is real and yes, they, whoever they are, do sometimes kidnap human beings against their consent. Surely this would create fear amongst us uh, and somewhat a, a bit of an alien anxiety. Good question. There is a good question. Um, the the moral implications of abduction are interesting, aren't they? Because if, if we went to, you know, we just put perseverance up there, uh, up on Mars, if there was a life form there, we probably would want to collect one and bring it back. And we can't experience life through the life form's point of view. So it could have family that suddenly would panic in that it was abducted. And we would probably have rules of conduct to say, you know, you're not allowed to harm the creature. You're only allowed to do non-invasive study and so on and so forth and then put it back. Um, it, it makes me think of Travis Walton's experience where... I think he would have been left for dead possibly, but he was taken, brought back. If it went well, his mind wipe would have stayed and he wouldn't have remembered, you know, this really crazy experience. He would have just gone on with a happy life, having been saved and healed by them. Um, so it, it, it makes me think of how we would act. You know, I, I don't think it's necessarily completely evil that they're taking people i think there are there's probably a motivation behind it that we just don't understand but it would also create alien anxiety <laughs> if suddenly our walls and roofs couldn't keep us here i'm going to warn you there's a potential fish analogy coming up yeah. um I, i've kind of said this before though i know like i'm getting well known for these fish analogies but a lot of it just seems to fit but like you say the there, there may be a good motive or reason for doing what they do or why they're doing it. There may not. That I mean, it could just be horrific and horrible, which I'm sure some of these experiences sound. Um, I, I do, just for, for what it's worth, believe that abductions do happen. Um, alien abductions, like like is what said. I think a lot of them are cases of massive, massive like psychotic tra trauma and things that have happened in people's life, but I do think there are genuine cases as well. For me, you know, like you say, imagine like you've got wildlife reserves and people who catch whales or I say catch, but, you know, they, they grab whales or sharks out the ocean to tag them and then release them back into the wild and they monitor them for their whole lives. Where do they go? Breeding patterns, migration patterns, um, lifespan, you know, all that kind of stuff that they can get from these tracking devices. And then we always hear about alien abductions with people having these weird implants on them, um, potential recurring abductions, which is, you know, 
another horrific thing if someone's expecting it to happen. But yeah, for me, it's like that that still is going to be distressing to the animal. If you get a baby whale or a you know a shark or whatever or any kind of animal, tag it, take it out its normal environment for a few minutes, a few hours, a few days, and then no matter what you do to it, it may not know you're trying to help or trying to study or whatever. You're still taking it out its normal environment and then released it back. So at that point, it's going to go back and if it, if it can communicate properly to say, this is what happened, it's going to sound crazy and wild and it's always going to be fearful of that happening again. And that to me is exactly the same as what we hear from alien abductions as well. So it's so up in the air because the stories are so wildly different as well. Some people claim to have been taken to bases on the moon. Some people claim to have been taken to far off galaxies and shown these wonderful places that may or may not exist. Some people just get a tour of the solar system. Some people are taken on board a ship, experimented on. Sometimes people get slightly nicer experiences. I won't go into detail on those. Uh, And then other people don't remember. They just know something happened. So it's just it's such a wild spectrum and something, to be honest, I've not covered yet on the podcast. But uh, again, for the patrons, pretty soon um, I've got a couple of guests coming on over the next probably three or four weeks where we'll be touching on the abduction phenomena uh, and talking case studies and, and those sorts of things as well that will be of interest to people. So something that's probably been a, a long time in the making for the podcast, though. But w- what are your thoughts, Dan, on abductions then? I mean, I, I, you know, to say upfront, I believe that they happen. Just what the experience is, is what's up for debate. I'm, I, you, you probably know I lean more towards the kind of consciousness side of things. Um, and, and yeah, there's, there was that, I, I forget the name. I'm going to have to look this up and kind of keep it to hand. Um, I'm like you. So, sometimes I remember things really well, and other times they just kind of fall fall by the wayside. Um, but it was a case Jack Belade spoke about on Joe Rogan, um, where someone was driving along the motorway in France, and when their abduction happened, suddenly there was no one around them. So it makes me feel like it's a experience through consciousness as opposed to through being physically taken somewhere, you know? Um, and the, the more science kind of looks at it, the more we're kind of realizing that things perceive time in, in different ways. Just this week, there was a study that found that people who were depressed, um, experienced a kind of slower time or had a slower perception of time, um, which I thought was super interesting. Right. And, and you probably have the opposite experience with kids with ADHD who probably have a very manic sense of time. Um, so the more, the more we understand about the brain, the more we're understanding that it can have these really weird experiences that don't necessarily reflect an objective reality that we all take for granted. Nice. I like it. Um, I've just had a question coming, uh, live as we're doing this. So Ooh, we'll get Paul's question. Yeah, in. Let's throw that right in now. You want that one in now? Yeah, yeah. let's do it. So, That's the first uh, one. Yeah, this one was from Paul, um, literally just received. Uh, Paul Lowe. Hi, Paul. Guys, who would be your top five from the UFO world to interview? Ooh. So, I don't don't know if I could rhyme off 
five that I could do justice on the top of my head. But um, so George Knapp, absolutely, who should be coming on the podcast very soon. Um, Bob Lazar, I would love to speak to Bob Lazar myself. I would definitely have some other questions that he's potentially not been asked. I, I feel like you might get a few details that aren't necessarily things he's spoken about. Because, you know, like when I tell people sto- a story of, of just something that happened in my day, I won't tell them all the details. And then when I tell it again, I might include something that I didn't include before. Um, exactly. So I think it'd be really interesting to do that with him. And the Scottish accent will confuse him. Um, <laughs> so George Knapp, uh, Bob Lazar, uh, I would love Bob Bigelow. I know he's had a controversial appearance recently, but I don't think he's done himself justice. Um, that Christopher Merlin. You you do yeah. a lot better job, I think, just because you're more informed and armed. Thanks. <laughs> um, I'm just nosy. Um, Chris Merlin, absolutely. Um, and do you know what? There are so many people, like, I'll, I'll give honourable mention to, like, Jacques Fillet, Gary Nolan, James Fox, Jeremy Corbell, that are all people I would love to have on the podcast this year at some point, okay? Um, Travis Walton, all those people. But I would still, controversially, I would love to do Tom DeLong's next interview. Because as much as I am a fan of his music... And I've got TTSA stickers where I'm recording and I've got a hoodie and I was a big fanboy. All the archived podcasts are there. Me and Dan fond over TTSA and, you know, things have happened. And I I wouldn't hold back on Tom. I, I would ask him, I think, the questions everybody wants to know. And for me, Tom does... I, I, I'm quite happy to come out and say that, you know, certain people don't owe us anything. Louis Elizondo doesn't owe us answers, okay? I don't care what people might think with that. That's just my opinion. However, Tom DeLong does owe people some answers, and I think he's been far too quiet. And that, for me, that that's not been good for me, that he's he's stayed so quiet with everything that's happened. Because he was really happy to be vocal and tweet loads and do short Instagram interviews and everything when things were going well. But, you know, a lot of people lost a lot of money in TTSA investing there were a lot of promises made and there was a direction for that company that did not pan out at all and it seems that people have been let down that have now moved on from the company let alone the investors you know let's the little guys who have invested any amount of money in that company have been let down people that bought merchandise you know potentially have been let down unless they were wanting to invest in in movies and books so I, I would love to sit down and speak to Tom DeLong and, and really have an honest interview with him and, and hear his side of what happened and just see where he is still at with the subject, really honestly. But that would be my kind of five with a load of other people I would throw in. Who, who would you want to speak to, Dan? So I'd interview Tom for pretty much the same reasons. I've, I've been a fan of his stuff since I can remember. You know, I play I play guitar, um, have done for a long time. Um so it would just be a blast to talk to Tom on that level. Um, yeah. I I would like to talk to uh, McCaslin, Tom's first contact. Uh, the guy who, you know, sat across the table and said, it was the Cold War and we found a body. Um, I want to talk to that guy. Um, that, that would just be an absolute trip. Um, then one of them we've done 
you know, it's in my top five, it would be Luis Elizondo. <laughs> so pin- pinching myself, it'd be great to get a part two and have a follow up. Um, oh, who else? Jesse Marcel, uh, Roswell. That's going to come up in a minute when I answer another question. And then I've got one more. I'm going to go for Ben Rich, who was the guy at Skunk Works that said, we have the technology to take E.T. home. Oh, good shout. Yeah. So there's some very conversation there. I like it. We'll, we'll try and pick up the pace here, folks, because I was expecting this wouldn't go half an hour and we're 34 minutes in already. Um, but I hope you're enjoying it. If you're listening in, this is your question. So um, awesome. Uh, next one is Graham Rendell, who uh, was the person who suggested AMA. So thanks, Graham. Um, and this is the one that I was sort of answering before, but I'm going to change anyway. Uh, Andy and Dan, not including the 2004 or 2015 US Navy encounters, or any personal UAP sighting you had, which historic case would you like to have witnessed yourself and why? I'll go straight off the bat with this one, Dan. Roswell, I would be happy being camped up there in the surrounding area, watching whatever happened happen, whatever fell out the sky, because something did, watch whatever crashed crash, see what then happened afterwards, what the fallout was, and yeah, just just what did happen? At least have some sort of of image of that. That would be amazing for me to watch. What about you? From from this moment on, I'm going to assume that Roswell was you in the future finding a time machine, going back to look at what happened at Roswell and crashing and causing the whole thing in the first place. <laughs> it's me up in the mountain with my time machine, and the time <laughs> machine drops down the mountain, at smashing to bits as it rolls down. That's very future esque isn't it? Like <laughs> it, is, yeah. it was me that caused it, and it turns out it was my time machine, and I just got stuck back in Roswell. God, can you imagine? It was just Andy all along. <laughs> it's just a black and white picture of you in some government file as what they found at Roswell. That would take like the Wonder Woman movies. Yeah. Um, ooh. Witness myself. You Can know, I just say while you're, while you're thinking, Dan, I'll give you a minute to think. You know when you mentioned before the Nimitz incident? Yeah. For some reason, as much as I champion that, that never crossed my mind when I think, I think it's so recent still, I went back and when I think historical, it's Roswell, Phoenix Lights, Betty and Barney Hill, Travis, Calvin Park, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, but that, that to me is still the most famous case now. And I didn't think to, yeah, so just when you mentioned that, I was like, oh, I should have said that. Yeah, no, you're right. We, we've uh, we've had it a lot better than a lot of people would let on in recent times, especially Absolutely. the last three years. I know I know we talk about this often because you, you and I agree, and there are a lot of people that don't think anything's changed. But we're, we're on Patreon, so I'll just say they're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can say that one here. <laughs> um. I'm going to go for the Zoni, Lonnie Zamora mm. um, in Sirocco. That that case, I mean, it was by a sighting by a policeman. So to me, that's kind of an early Nimitzi type thing. You know, yeah. we've got an official involved. Um, there are interviews with him after where, you know, he's, he's clearly shaken. Um, his partner said that he was never the same. Um, and there was, there's, 
a detail about a blue flame in the case that I find really intriguing. <clears throat> so there, there was a, a flame that came from the bottom of the craft when it took off, um, but the flame was said to almost be like, imagine, imagine if you were playing a computer game and there was a bug in the code so that the flame wasn't interacting with the ground and kicking up dust. It was just glitching through the ground. That's what it's said to have looked like. Like a bit of a glitch in the matrix? Yeah, and it's a really intriguing detail, right? Because it's not just a craft that's flying around. Like, it, it did look like, or it sounds like there was a glitch in reality there some, or something. I like that. Cool to see. Graham, I'm going to skip your next question only because uh, I'll direct people to the Mystery Wire interview. I-, I think you sent this just before that came out, but it was, what would it take to get the mainstream UK media seriously questioning the government's role in the whole UAP subject? So people go and check out Mystery Wire, um, UAP Media UK, which myself and Dan are a part of, along with Dave Partridge and Adam Goldsack. Uh, check that out on there, uh, and we'll, we'll discuss that. And we've discussed that in a lot of detail. Uh, George and I passed that quite a lot to us um the second last question we've got uh graham uh, sorry dave dave smethers sent in a few and what will we go for on this one? Oh, so um have you heard anything about jacques valet's new book what impact will it have does it uh, does his take blur or add clarity generally uh dan i mean have you heard much about what may or may not be coming out only only what he spoke about on Joe Rogan and what Gary Nolan spoke about on Twitter in the like speech specific the papers are due back. Um they've conducted extensive study on the materials. It seems the people peer reviewing it uh equally baffled. Um so I, I think it'll be a really exciting book. Really, really. Um I half expect it to be this really dry book just about isotopes and almost not mentioning UFOs at all, you know, uh, but I'd be very happy with that if it was just a science paper about the metamaterials that was like 200 pages. That is what I've wanted for years, you know. Do you think even someone like Jack in his more advanced years, who's been about this topic now for decades, he is someone that seems to have definitely kept up with the times and with the changes we talked a lot about the old school ufology and how some people chose not to go down the path that we've gone down the last couple of years which is fine and you can talk about old school and new school and all that kind of stuff and people have talked about the young guns and i know chase klutzky mentioned that kind of stuff in an interview there but everyone's still got their place jack seems to have have kept pretty relevant especially with the phenomenon uh, documentary playing his part in that do you think Jacques and someone of his standing has all that in the back of his mind when he has a new book coming out that it has to potentially not be more explosive because that's that's not a celebrity book, but you know it's got to have that relevant note. It's got to hit the right chord, strike the right chord with the people who are going to be reading it because he knows what people are looking for. And if it's just a study that doesn't really have any, you know, big reveals almost that may disappoint very quickly i hope i came across okay he's not the kind of guy that is gonna release a paper on 
you know, material that he studied. And then at the end of it, in the abstract, say, this is an alien material. However, he will give you all the proof you need to scientifically understand that it is an alien material. I, I think his, his many, many years in the subject have taught him kind of what we're all learning now, that if you talk about little green men, people switch off. Yeah. Whereas if he just talks about isotopes and, you know, whatever is different in this material and whatever's fascinating, I think a, a lot of scientists are going to start being intrigued. And where did you get this material isn't necessarily going to be the first question. They're just going to be fascinated by what they can do with it and what it means for their inventions and their work going forward, you know? Yeah, that, that's that's fair. I, I'm hopeful. I, I, I like Jack and that's someone, like I say, I would love to have on the podcast. A very intelligent man. Um, doesn't do too many interviews either, uh, so it'd be good to speak to him in the future. If anyone knows him, you know, tell them to get in touch. Um, last question, Dan. This was from Tim, who is one of the newer listeners and podcast uh, podcasters, one of the newer patrons as well. Shall um, I good. This one, because I am yeah. one for a bit. Yeah, please. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Oh, it's okay. It's. Uh... I kind of, I kind of forget that I, even though I was the one, it was like, oh, do you want to do one each? And yeah, I just kind of go and ask it. You're probably just used to being the host all the time. <laughs> Let me sit back for this last one. So Tim La La Tulip or La Tulipe? Um, he's English. Oh really? I'm just gonna yeah. say Tim then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A yeah. uh, question for anyone who have who may have collated the sources better. Does the interim UAPTF have the mandate or mission of bringing together the vast groupings of available sensor and instrument data. So um, I, I would get, I think this is one we have to speculate on. I would guess it will have all of that, but we probably won't see a lot of that information within the report that we get released. So again, Tim's obviously talking about, you know, everything that came along with the Nimitz incident, not just the, you know, a video, but what was the radar data that Gary and PJ talk about and Kevin Day and all those guys and Sean. We're not going to see that kind of data. I don't think it may be touched upon. It may be mentioned that there is other corroborating data, but I can't see as... If Tim means that we're going to be giving it to almost peer review as a public and for people who are expert, who have expertise in that... It would be great, but I just can't see us getting access to that. For me, the best case scenario, especially in this this first report, which I, we do get the feeling more and more it's going to be a first report of hopefully many, um, that it'll touch on there being other data that we just can't be privy to. There's, there's a part B uh, yeah. to this question. Um, I'll just read the rest of it. Um Tim says, I'm sure the answer is no, since it involves NASA equipment, NOAA equipment, um, and others outside the Pentagon's reach. Lou and or others had banged on about the need to use these already in place instruments. I guess my secondary question is, do you guys know if anyone is tying these things together? It sounds like a bureaucratic nightmare. I would say that what he's essentially talking about is what Lou's role was with ATIP where Lou talked about um, some time ago that while people may have scoffed at the budget of $22 million, 
which is still a pretty small budget, given the type of undertaking Lou was doing as part of ATIP. He did have access to a lot of other government resources, so he didn't necessarily need to have uh, those you know, those systems to pull on himself. He could go, hopefully, down the corridor to some guy and ask about radar data, and he could call someone else and ask about sensor data. And it is that collaboration that's probably lacking um, within the, the walls of government worldwide, not just in the US. But I think that's something, Dan, I'll, I'll kind of hand over to you to, to share your thoughts on. But Lou's talked about that extensively, hasn't he? That it's what he can pull on and, you know, friends in high places and what, what can this guy help give me that will help me that doesn't actually cost any money. And it's just someone sending a file or sharing a piece of data. And that, that is essentially what ATIP was doing. So maybe that's what the, you know, the, the whoever's taken over, the, the guy or gal who's taken over from Lou and whatever the new ATIP is, uh, has to do as part of their role still. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. Um, all I'd add to that is just saying the in the UAPTF report, um, that's, sorry, not the report, the the bill, the advanced aerial threats section of the bill. Um, they talk a lot about this, that there is no kind of central clearinghouse for data that can organize all of these, um, you know, offshoots that are studying all these different parts. And, you know, feeling different parts of the elephant without with a blindfold on essentially um so yeah i mean it, it's a it's a gaping hole um and it looks like they're they're trying to do something about it so i guess we just keep our fingers crossed and write our officials write your representatives in if you're in the us your mps if you're in the uk um we're part of five eyes so that stuff feeds back to all of the intelligence partners there and yeah, I mean, just just use use your boots on the ground to to get the ball moving. Dan, thank you very much for getting involved in this first, hopefully, of many Patreon exclusives. And again, thank you for listening. Thank you for sending in all the questions to the Patreons. Thank you for being involved. Uh, Dan, do you have handy, or should I just put in the description again your own link tree and where people can access your patches, all that kind of stuff? What you're working on just now? Um, so at the moment we're we're actually doing a logo for you. Um, I was going to bring that. What is the thanks. anniversary of the podcast? Um, so the Gary Voorhees interview dropped on the twenty ninth of April last year. Oh wow! So it might be around the big phone home. Ah, yeah, just a few days before, days after, yeah, but yeah, uh, I, I, it's like technically an anniversary celebration. It's a synchronicity. Look at that. It is, it is, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Dan's very kindly doing the logo for us as well. Um, so we're kind of working back and forward on on that and tweaking it and just trying to get something a little bit more snazzy for the podcast. And Dan's a details guy, so there'll be a lot of Easter eggs within the, the logo as well. That that also means that it'll take me five times longer to make than Andy would like. So uh... Yeah, Dan gets regular messages now while we talk of, oh, have you done any more? And I, I hope that he sends me like a, a first draft and what I get is a new selection of fonts uh, sent over to me to, to look at <laughs> as he pours over. Oh, this one's Helvetica, but this one has a, a slight bold italic look to it. And it's like, oh, okay, that's where we're still at. I, I, think I can that. justify everything I've sent you. <laughs> <laughs> you can, you can. It's, it's some good stuff, people. And I'm going to put out to the, the Patreons and the, the social media world to hopefully select the new logo as well and at least be part of the 
the vetting process as we go through it. But this has been great. And what I would ask, can you, Patreons, keep sending over your questions, but let us know what more stuff like this would you like to hear? If you want another AMA, um, I'm guessing something like this, the best thing would be monthly, probably. Um, I'm happy to do that. Uh, Keep the questions coming over. I would love, because it's so hard to see how many of you listen to this on Patreon, can you at least like it to say you've listened? Uh, That's not to say you have liked it. Hopefully you have. But leave a comment as well, just to let us know your thoughts. Too long? Too short? Would you like to hear different content? Anything at all? This is for you to give something back. I know so many of you have been really kind and you tell me that you don't expect anything, just the podcast enough and you're happy to support. But I do feel I need to give you a little something back for all the, the help and support you do give. And I'm more than happy to do this as well. And it lets us kind of mess about with some different, um, you know, technology. It lets us play with some different formats as well with people who are, who are really bought into the podcast. So we really do appreciate it. And if you are listening to this in the future and don't... Uh, aren't part of the patreon thank you so much for listening it really is appreciated please like review uh, the podcast especially on apple makes a massive difference um but also consider signing up on patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast hopefully there is no longer a pandemic anymore as you listen to this on the free feeds so yeah remember when we all had to wear masks or if you're listening to this in march 2021 not long to go folks stick with it dan any final words uh, I was just going to say, in, in the name of new technology, do you want to show off one of your sound bites? Oh, no. No, I'll, I'll because you, that... I'll give you a terrible joke, and then you can use one. Okay, so just to set this up, and this will be the sign-off for the Patreon exclusive, <laughs> um, that on Zencaster, it's given us like some sound effects uh, as default on, on the, the feed, and I was messing about with them beforehand, and it, what it will help me do, seriously though, is if I'm going to use this platform going forward and pay for the extra subscription and features, I can probably edit the shows as I do them, which would be really, really handy, but it gives me some like dramatic piano drums, and I can I can put more sound effects on it as such, like the UFO sound effect adverts and, and all that kind of stuff, but um, yeah, there is one we will play for you only as Patreons. Dan, do you want to give us a terrible joke? Okay. How do you design a world? I don't know. How do you design a world? Planet. Thanks for listening, folks. <laughs>